I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah help. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. Hello there, and welcome into the Crimson Corner Podcast. It's powered by KSLSports.com, and I'm your host and Utes Insider, Trevor Allen. Great to have you guys along for another jam-packed show. And as always, you guys can follow me on Twitter, at Trevor A. Sports, or at KSL Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram is where you'll find us. Coming up on today's show, we will preview the defensive tackles for Utah. And I'll also have a conversation with Pick 6 Preview owner, Brett Ciancia. He will talk about Utah's chances of of winning the Pac-12 coming up in 2020 and we'll talk about his book that he has previewing all power five teams in college football but first a couple of news and notes for Utah athletics uh, one in football and one in basketball uh, on the football side they, they picked up another commitment as they continue to recruit at a high level despite not being able to physically visit with these prospects they picked up three-star running back Ricky Parks, uh, he's a part of the 2021 class. He is a three-star prospect from Tampa, Florida. He's the 20th-ranked running back in the nation and the number 56 recruit in the state of Florida. He announced his his decision on Twitter on Sunday, and he had offers from Central Michigan, Florida State, Illinois, Iowa, Kentucky, Louisville, Penn State, Pittsburgh, Purdue, South Carolina, UCF, USF, Virginia, and West Virginia. He's the sixth recruit to verbally commit to Utah, in the 2021 class, joining Peter Costelli, Trey Reynolds, Coley Fau, Vilami Puha, and Tavita Fotu. Um, according to 24-7 Sports, Parks is the second-highest-rated commitment in Utah's 2021 class, just behind Peter Costelli. So another Florida guy coming up to Utah. Hopefully he'll have a similar impact like Zach Moss did when he was at Utah. And then the University of Utah running Utes, Picked up a commitment from the junior college ranks. Six foot six wing Jordan Kellier is joining Utah. He's from Portmore, Jamaica, and he joins Utah from Williston State Junior College in North Dakota. While he was at Williston State, he started in 19 of the 21 games played, averaged 17.4 points, 8.6 rebounds, and 1.8 assists per game. 
He shot 44.6% from the field and 27.3% from beyond the arc and also 79.8% from the free throw line. He had offers from Jacksonville State, Cedarville, McNeese State, Eastern Illinois, and Prairie View A&M. And obviously we know what's going on with Utah's program as Larry Kraskoviak and his coaching staff lost Booth Gotch and Matt Van Komen to the transfer portal, and they also granted the release from three-star recruit Caleb Lohner, who recently signed with BYU. All right, time to talk some Utah and Pac-12 football here on the Crimson Corner podcast. We now catch up with a guy who has his fingerprints all over the college football landscape. He has a, a book out that uh, previews all of college football with uh, pick six previews, Brett Ciancia. Brett, how are you, man? Yeah, I'm doing great, Trevor. Thanks for having me on the talk. Um, you know, after spending five months you know, stuck inside writing this book and researching and um, you know, finding every fact I can, I'm ready to start talking about it. So it's talking season, and uh, love to kick it off at the Salt Lake market, Utah market. Yeah, and I know that uh, a lot of the Ute fans are, are wondering what this team is going to look like in 2020, but I kind of want to take a, a step back to last year in 2019. Utah had a fantastic season until the end. I mean, many pegged Utah, and you even put in, in your book last year, Utah as that fourth team to go into the college football playoff. But I felt like that had they beat Oregon, they had a really good chance to get into the playoff, but they lost that game. And then they went on to lose to Texas in the Alamo Bowl. All in all, though, what were your thoughts on the Utes last year? Yeah, I thought it was one of Utah's best teams in school history when you really look at it. Uh, certainly their best defense in school history. Uh, but what led me to that playoff prediction, I was the only publication in America to have Utah in the final four uh, in the playoff, was a step back in 2018 when uh, midseason you started to see this offense click. You saw Tyler Huntley take a step forward and Zach Moss really start uh, getting into his workhorse form. And that defense was just nasty. So I, I forecasted that forward um, knowing that Huntley and Moss were knocked out late in 2018 they would have had a couple more W's under the belt. So I thought that'd be a top four team. And I thought they have a path to the playoff coming out of the Pac-12. And hey, all the way up until that final Friday night, uh, it was looking like my roulette chip hit. Um, but throughout the process, got to meet a lot of Utah fans. I was up in uh, Seattle for the Utah versus Washington game. Um, you know, great to connect with that fan base. You guys are very passionate. And, um, you know, a lot, of this, a lot of the cities on the coasts and some of the pro cities, they don't value college football as much, but it's very, it's very evident talking to Utah and even for what it's worth, BYU fans. Um, and you see it through the TV with that camera shaking and Rice Eccles. So, hey, uh, a lot of national guys might not appreciate it, but, you know, over pick six previews, I do. Let's dive in, into the 2020 season. Utah ha will have nine new starters on defense and, and three key starters, three new key starters on offense. What do you think of the Utes heading into 2020, especially with so many new faces? Yeah, this is a team that really, really could have used a spring ball. And I know every, every college program in America could say that. We, you know, they could all use a spring ball, but especially this Utah defense. Um, you know, what goes into my book is a film study and a ton of coaches, a ton of calls with coaches and coordinators. And one of them, uh, I had a chance to connect with Morgan Scally, the Utah defensive coordinator, back in March. And, uh, and he, he kind of echoed the same sentiment about, hey, they're very talented in the secondary, but it's extremely young. And, man, he would have loved to have his – his hands on 15 practices. Because when you look at this thing, the four starters from last year in the secondary are gone. Uh, not to mention probably their fifth guy last year who would have been the star this year, um, R.J. Hubert, tore his ACL in that Oregon Pac-12 title game and could miss 2020. So extreme youth in the secondary. Um, I know they were able to pull in Clark Phillips, the, you know, the super recruit, the highest recruit in Utah history. But even that, I mean, these are guys without a spring ball, without those 15 practices of uh, repping with the ones. So um, defense, super young offense. I'm a little bit more, uh, 
optimistic about. I think they'll be able to reload. Um, you know, talking about four-star, two four-star quarterbacks um, taking over for Tyler Huntley. But the more important thing is that Andy Ludwig really passed the test for me in, in his first year back in Utah. Uh, of course, had success there back in 2008. But uh, seeing his positive impact at Utah and at the same time seeing the collapse at Vanderbilt where he left uh, really speaks volumes to what he can do. So I, I trust Ludwig coming into 2020. I know that a lot of the Ute fans haven't probably seen a lot of tape on, on Jake Bentley at his last school with uh, South Carolina. You've obviously covered college football for many, many years and, and, and have watched Jake. What are your thoughts on his game and what he can do to help Utah's offense? Yeah, I'd say with Jake Bentley, it's hot and cold. I think he was, he was one of those guys that came in as a freshman. He kind of surged into the starting lineup. Um, you know, he started for most of three seasons down in South Carolina. Uh, but, you know, there were some injuries. There were some inconsistencies. And let's be honest, uh, Will Muschamp's offense, is, uh, they haven't been the best designed units. And uh, so I think that given a better structure here at Utah, a stronger offensive line in front of him, um, I think he'll be fine. So there's kind of a 50-50 between him or Cameron Rising, the Texas transfer. Um, in my book, I did write that uh, Rising might have the slight lead even, given that he was a scout team guy last year. Uh, was all over Ludwig's playbook, was, you know, right on the ends with the play calls and kind of understands the system. So I could see that going either way. I think they're in good hands having both of them there competing with each other. And, and you know, at least that if something happens to the starter, you have uh, solid depth. In your book, you picked Utah to finish second in the, the South Division in the Pac-12. And many thought that, that it was going to be the Arizona State Sun Devils in that second spot behind the USC Trojans and Utah dropping down to three. What led you to have Utah ahead of ASU? Yeah, there's a couple factors here. You're right that Arizona State is probably the, the consensus number two nationwide, but I have Utah above them. Um, a couple things I really like. Um, in, a, in an unprecedented offseason, I know that's kind of a buzzword, but really when you think about it, without a spring ball, um, I really am relying on these coaches and the, coach, the coaching continuity year over year and scheme continuity. So you just know the proven track record that Utah has as player developers, uh, converting their tech in the wins their scheme on defense especially is proven and now Ludwig is also on offense so trust the offensive and, and defensive coordinator stability when you look at Arizona State yeah they're making some strides under Herm Edwards for what it's worth it's a lot of 50-50 ball games within a score wins and losses so I don't really know you know it's not too certain that they're a top 25 caliber team anyway but for whatever stability they were building both coordinator changes in the offseason now with no spring ball they, uh, you know they used to be a spread offense now they're bringing in Zach Hill from Boise State, who's trying to become that smash mouth offense. And hey, long term, that might work. But I don't think the, the roster is set for that in 2020 without an offseason. Same thing defensively. They, they, they ran an outlier 3-3-5 scheme, flipping that out for two NFL guys. It's actually Marvin Lewis, the old Bengals coach, is now taking over on defense. So the coordinator changes. They also lose some NFL power with Eno Benjamin um, at, uh, at running back there, a consistent runner. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm trusting Utah a bit more. I just they, they also in my game grader formula blew out almost everyone last year. You guys know it. Uh, these games were not even competitive, most of them. So all of that together, I trust Utah more in a in a short off season to reload offensively and and uh, grind out a solid defense as usual. And then uh, also in in your book, you have Utah coming in at number 27 in your rankings overall. Many would say that, that that's kind of surprising. I'm, I know that there's been other preseason predictions that have Utah in the top 30, but what, what are your reasons for having Utah there? Yeah, to be honest, there's kind of a pool of teams between 20 and 30 that could you could kind of shake them around. Um, I, I'm a little bit worried about some of the youth, like we talked about on defense. Um, that could be something that could limit them 
out of the top 25. The other teams that I have in front of them have a little bit more star power coming back, a little bit more certainty coming back. Um, but that's not to say that this team can't gel and, uh, and, and, you know, move past that number 27 rank. Um, more so, I, I try and look at the Pac-12 pecking order. And I, I see USC as – and I know with USC, it's always a constant struggle between what they do on signing day. Of course, they always have the, you know, the, the highly touted recruits and the five stars and the whole bit, but can they convert that to wins? Um, finally, last year, we started to see it on offense with Graham Harrell, probably one of the, the coordinator hires of the year. Um, they, they're going to have a solid offense again with those receivers. You guys saw it in the game down in L.A. where those uh, USC receivers were winning one-on-one battles over the Utah uh, defensive backs. So um, USC seemed like the clear winner in the South. And then from there, it was a little bit closer with uh, Utah and Arizona State, and I'm leaning Utah. At least here, people know that Utah does a great job of developing talent. They don't go out and get those five-star guys, but they go in and get three, sometimes four-star guys and develop them into players that, that go on into the next level. Has the nation noticed that, or is that still something that has really been noticed just here in this state? Well, it's definitely noticed in your state, but uh, I, I, I've been trying to promote it as well. I mean, because here's my, my take on all of this. I think that recruiting is very important. Uh, it starts with recruiting. Um, you know, do the recruiting services miss on a prospect here or there? Yes, of course, that happens all the time. But when you start to look at 20 players or 25 players and then four years of that aggregated, you know, 80, 85, 100 players, they're more right than wrong. So, but that's only the starting point. You have to, you have to um, recruit to your scheme and recruit to your culture. And then once they're on campus, you got to coach them up and develop them and have the scheme and the X's and O's to make it work as a total package. And, and just from what I've watched Utah over the last nine years covering them, uh, but then also my, my phone call with Morgan Scally, it's clear. I mean, Utah knows exactly the kind of player they want, the, the exact kind of personality they want, and they, they target them in recruiting. Yeah, they might be a two or a three star. That doesn't really matter to the staff. They have an eye for talent. They bring them in, and they, they you know, develop them better than anyone. I have a, a stat in my book called player development, and it, it might seem simple, but what it is, it's just the recruiting rankings, you know, the raw recruiting rankings compared to what they produce in the NFL draft because something's happening on this three and four and five years on campus, right? So in that metric, Utah is number one. So they do – literally, they do the most with the least, uh, quote-unquote, uh, compared to what they sign on signing day and what they're producing to the NFL – um, no, no further proof needed than leading the entire Pac-12 and NFL draft picks. Uh, this from a program that's within a decade of being uh, Mountain West and non-AQ. So I think it's just fascinating that they're able to come into a Power 5 league and become the, the top NFL exporter, uh, despite maybe a top 40, roughly number 40 recruiting rank. So that kind of puts numbers onto the buzzwords and there's proof behind it. Now what I want to do is take a look at, at the entire conference. A lot of uh, people nationally and even here locally have been saying that, you know, the Pac-12 is, is the weaker conference of the Power Five conferences. Haven't had a team in the college football playoff for years. Do you feel like now, though, with the uprise in Utah, Oregon, and also the uh, Trojans, do you think that the Pac-12 is trending in the right direction? Or do you think that they're still about where they are? I think, I think it's the right direction, but I don't think much has changed. I think that um, a lot of college football, sadly, is perception. And again, sadly, a lot of the East Coast and the Midwest kind of gets their fill of college football all day. They watch 12 hours, and then once midnight hits, they turn it off. I mean, I'm one of those weirdos that's up till 3 in the morning watching every game, right? So yeah. I got all four screens going, my blurry Pac-12 network on the one screen. Um, no, so I love Pac-12 football. I think what hurts them is the nine-game conference slate um, because when you look at these other leagues like the ACC, rather than having an extra crossover game against a tough – you know, an Oregon, a Washington, a Cal even, 
the ACC is playing the Citadel and Wofford and these, and these FCS teams as their 12th game. So the extra game hurts. I think there's a lot of above average solid teams in the Pac-12 and they'll beat each other up compared to maybe the ACC that has Clemson, major gap, and then a couple 500 teams. So it, it, it's all in what you think of in conference strength. Does, does the Pac-12 have a dynasty team? No, not right now. But I think they have a, a stronger pool of, you know, above average or top 30 caliber teams. So it, it's all in, in what you define a good conference. But I, I love the Pac-12. Um, it's one of those leagues that has 12 different brands, uh, especially when Leach was up here. I mean, you had 12 different offense styles, and it was very unique. So, um, But real quickly, another fascinating trend is down in USC where back in the day, say 10 years ago, all that Southern California talent used to stay in-state and in the region at USC and UCLA. Mm-hmm. Um, but last cycle, only 10% stayed down there. The beneficiaries were Oregon, Washington, even Arizona State went into California and raided some talent. Utah is getting some of that. So I think you're seeing a lot of that blue chip talent now spread more across the league and it'll even become more parity. So that's just the game within the game, recruiting. But I find it fascinating. I think it's a strong league. Yeah, it is. And that, and that was one of the things that uh, fans were very critical of for Clay Helton is that he wasn't able to go in and get some of the some of the top talent in the state of California. But I feel like that the uh, Trojans, especially as of late, I think that this 2021 class is looking pretty good for them. But also coaches are now starting to come to Utah and being able to pull players from from this state over to their program in the, the uh, Pac-12. Yeah, uh, speaking of USC, good point on that. They are surging now in the 21 class. Helton, I know he gets a lot of heat, and yeah, he botched that 2019 and 2020 classes. Mm-hmm. I think that's the result of when a media and a whole fan base puts the quote-unquote hot seat on a coach for over a year, it seems like. Um, what's that do to recruits' head, uh, you know, mindsets? They don't want to go sign somewhere if the guy's always in the hot seat and might not be there. So, um, yeah, they brought in Dante Williams, who's always been an ace recruiter out west, and, and he has – and as, as a staff, they have USC bouncing back. But, uh, but even Utah – um, they signed, They just signed their highest class in school history, signed their highest prospect, Clark Phillips, like we mentioned. Uh, so recruiting could be uh, shifting up there. Um, just being on the national scene has to help. And I mentioned this, that college football is all about perception. Being in these big games, the Pac-12 title games, tiers in a row, getting into some major bowl games, hopefully, uh, just more eyeballs on the Utah brand and culture there. Um, that's just, that just sells recruits. You know, more ranked games more college game day appearances, that kind of thing. And all of that cycles back to recruiting. So, um, yeah, and, and what a better story than, than Oregon, who, you know, might be a couple years ahead on the cycle there of recruiting, where a couple years back they had a top 10 class and another top 15 class. And you're seeing these freak athletes like Kayvon Thibodeau, Pac-12 title game had, I think, three sacks and that block Something punt. Like that. Yeah, it's just, it's just crazy. Like, it, it's another extra level of talent. So, um, that that's being spread out more amongst the Pac-12 teams. I think it's healthy for the league. And, um uh, definitely exciting. I'm actually glad that you have brought up Oregon because that was where I was going to go next. I mean, people are pegging them, even though they lost Justin Herbert um, and, you know, a lot of talent on that offensive line, except for, you know, Sewell, who's, you know, many have even considered him a Heisman Trophy candidate, but, you know, as, as an offensive lineman. But is there a team in the Pac-12 who could take that championship away this year from Oregon? Yeah, I think that um, – so, spoiler alert for the book here, I, I have Oregon – in the playoff this year, winning the Pac-12 and making it back to the playoff here. Uh, that's kind of the surprise pick this year for me and pick six previews. Um, how I got there was their defense, really. That's the key. Uh, it was a top five unit last year, just maybe a shade below Utah, but uh, had that star power. Ten starters back out of 11. And for that one vacancy, that linebacker spot, 
not just one, but two five-star yeah. players are coming in. I mean, the rich get richer. You know how it is in football. Mm-hmm. Um, so that defense could carry him alone. And then you start to see this offense. Now, it's not the old Chip Kelly with the speed and the gadgety offense that couldn't match up in the trenches. This team is built from the, from the offensive line out with Mario Cristobal. You mentioned Sewell there, the outland winner. Um, and then they have playmakers on the outside. So um, Oregon really – me. so a team that could compete with them, I think Washington – Let's be honest, Washington's defense is right up there, too. They have as many all-conference players. Um, They've recruited at a similar clip there in the top 15. I said this in the book. Washington really is an offensive coordinator away from contending for playoff spots. I mean, they've been stuck in the mud offensively for five years now. Um, If they could bring in an ace ace coordinator like some of these other programs, they would be a complete team. So I'd say Washington, maybe they grind them out in the defensive game. Um, I wouldn't even say USC because before I do that, I pictured the Oregon-USC game last year was just a beatdown. Um, I can't see that changing overnight. So I'd say Washington's their biggest threat up there, maybe a defensive game. But I think Oregon's on its own tier this year. Yeah, and it really just seems like it because they're able to go get – I mean, you, you even mentioned it, the, the linebackers, they get two of the top. I think the, the top player in California and obviously the top player here in Utah, even though they lost their starting quarterback who was a, a top five pick in the NFL draft, I mean, it seems like – and just like you said, you, you nailed it right on the head about three years ahead of schedule. For Oregon, do you even have, have a grasp of who, who could be the starting quarterback? I mean, it seems like it was the backup from last year, but do you have the same similarities as Justin Herbert? Yeah, so a couple things to mention here. It's pretty fascinating. Um, they have a guy, Tyler Shuck, who was the backup last year. He was Coaches were raving about him last fall, but of course they had Herbert, who's an NFL, or you're not going to supplant him. So yeah. they were already high on this guy. He's a dual threat. Um, another thing is they brought in Anthony Brown, a Boston College former starting quarterback. He started the better That's part right. of three seasons had some injuries. So at least in my head, I know the floor is an average to above average power five quarterback in Brown. Uh, and one last note here, I thought they had the coordinator hiring of the offseason here, bringing in Joe Moorhead. And I know it's a short offseason. I know that scheme changes might be tough, but um, what Moorhead did as a coordinator back at Penn State uh, in 2016 was turn them from about a 500 team into a conference champion. So I think that he'll be able to get some solid quarterback play. Uh, there's a couple four stars even behind the two I mentioned. So there's enough talent there that I think that a trusted coordinator in Moorhead can, uh, can get a competent offense together pretty quick. Moving nationally, I, I want to take a look at that college football playoff. You mentioned Oregon's in there at number four. I mean, it seems like Alabama's always in it, Clemson, the Buckeyes, you know, all, all, you know it always seems like the, the same teams every year. Is that about the same thing except just plug in that, that fourth team? Uh, so, yeah, so partly. I think my number one and number two picks right there are kind of chalk, and how can you not? It's Clemson and Ohio State. Uh, Clemson, of course, is going to run through the ACC again. Uh, Ohio State, um, yeah, they catch Michigan in, in a transition year. Uh, Wisconsin just doesn't have the firepower to ever knock them off either in the conference title. So, Ohio State, I, I just pencil right in. But for that SEC champion spot, I have Florida, actually, and that might be a surprise nationally. Yeah. Um, you know, so it's kind of a three-team debate between Bama, Georgia, and Florida. So what I did was look at, you know, all three of them. And, and Bama, they go through some changes. First off, their defense allowed 45 points in a game twice in November alone last year. And that had never happened the entire Saban, uh, Saban era in the SEC, in SEC contest. So uh, some defensive cracks. They lose their two best rush edge uh, def- defensive ends. All their secondary is gone. And plus two is gone. So, I mean, they have some changes to work with. Georgia, what made them special, or at least strong on offense, was that offensive line, probably the best line in the country. Four of those guys are now playing on Sundays. Uh, plus, you lose Jake Fromm, a, a multi-year quarterback. For, you know, for his faults, he was still a pretty stable and efficient quarterback. So, 
so when it came down to Florida, I, I, I really trust Dan Mullen. He's in his third year here as a, as a coach. He's an offensive mind, uh, great with quarterbacks. He finally has stable quarterback play. Um, their guy, Kyle Trask, took over midseason last year and uh, first-time starter, but really you know, improved as the season went on. And I think he's the best starting quarterback in the SEC. So, And then not to mention, they always have a five-star NFL defense. That's every year down in the swamp. So I think they put it together here. Uh, they have the stability, the, the, you know, the continuity year over year, unlike their other comp- uh, contenders there. Plus, Georgia and Bama play each other right away. So, that's, one of them's getting a loss in September. So, uh, I put my chips on Florida in the SEC. A lot of you fans are, are probably, you know, perking their heads up a little bit because they have two coaches and – or former coaches and players down there and Dan Mullen and Brian Johnson, who's down in Florida. And, obviously, the Utes are going to be playing the Gators in a home-and-home home series in 2022 and 2023. And that's actually a very interesting pick. Now, you are a, a voter for the uh, ultimate – award in college football and that is the Heisman Trophy I mean obviously the favorite's probably Trevor Lawrence but uh give me who do you think your early favorite is to win the Heisman and then maybe give me a, a dark horse pick of a guy who can maybe sneak up and, and snatch that the Heisman Trophy yeah absolutely it was the ultimate honor last year after the release of my 2019 book uh it made its way around some media circles and uh you know the Pennsylvania uh rep uh you know called me up we met we talked I showed him the book and he was blown away uh, and, and extending me the, the vote. So ultimate honor uh, this year. Yeah. So the only returning candidate, actually, it isn't Trevor Lawrence. It's actually Justin Fields last year, put up 51 touchdowns to just three picks. Um, so with Lawrence and, and the running back, Travis Etienne, for what it's worth, I think that they're two incredible players. They almost take the spotlight off each other. They share that. And also no one subs in their players more than Clemson. Cause I mean, they're always up by 50 uh, and Dabo <laughs> loves getting those young guys uh, reps ahead of schedule more than any other program in the nation. So, Great players. I think they're, they're going to be out of the Heisman, though. I think it'll be Justin Fields as the, the favorite again. Um, but if you want to talk some dark horses, uh, Chuba Hubbard, I don't even know if he's a dark horse, but Chuba Hubbard returning running back, uh, rushed for over 2,000 yards last year, unheard of stats. If he stays healthy towards the end there, he could have even gone higher. Yeah. Uh, so Chuba Hubbard, probably the best back, um, you know, because I think ETN from Clemson will, like I said, share some, high, uh, share some spotlight and uh, get some – fourth quarter benchings, but a couple really, really dark horses. Uh, Keaton Slovis from USC, he put up incredible numbers in that, uh, that air raid system with Graham Harrell last year. Who knows if their defense clicks, if Todd Orlando comes in and fix their defense overnight and, and they're run, you know, riding a Pac-12 title run, he can make a bid for the Heisman. Um, so that's a super dark horse. One really, really dark horse too, uh, Sam Howell from UNC. I'm, I'm impressed with his game at quarterback. Yeah, and I'm only saying quarterbacks. I don't want to be that kind of voter. In my own mind, I keep an open mind, but I just know the national landscape of voters. It's almost become a quarterback award. Yep. I would love to see a receiver or a defender win. And Chase Young was a prime example. Um, you know, 10 years ago, and Dominic and Sue should have won it hands down. But, but anyway, uh, those are some names. Again, it, it almost just comes down to who's in the rate, who's in the playoff race. And I don't want to be that kind of voter, but I, I just think that's how the majority of the vote will go. So we'll see. One of the things you do uh, during the college football season, which I just think is really awesome, and obviously I, I check it out every week, is you uh, do your picks based off of helmets. Um, are you bringing that back again for 2020? Well, yeah. So, Trevor, let's, let's remind them it's not on which helmet I think is cooler because that would be a different yeah. ranking. But, uh, yeah. 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 <laughs> Trevor's talking about the helmet board. It's gotten some, some nice uh, pub on Twitter there. Uh, I, I throw up my, the 20 best games of the weekend. I put you know, the winner on the left and the loser on the right. It's just an easy way to get 20 picks out, and, and, uh, and the fans love seeing it visually. Um, yeah, so helmet board's coming back. I, uh, I released a top 20 board of the best non-conference games, too, 
um, of 2020. And there's no surprise Utah BYU is in there. I love the Holy War. Um, and, hey, if you're a Utah fan, I might be a little concerned. I mean, just because of the extreme youth coming right out of the gate that first night of the year again. Um, I know BYU, that's, that's their Super Bowl. They're going to be fired up for that, as always. Um, I'm not predicting a Utah loss, but I know it'll be a tough one, as it always is. So, yeah, Helmet Port will be back. Don't worry. That's coming back. And uh, you'll see that usually every Thursday or Friday in the fall. So, um, And then some weekly radio shows across the country, too. And now that you bring up that game, I mean, I've said this, and I know others have said it, and I'll ask you as a guy who covers college football nationally, if BYU was to beat Utah, it would have to be this year. But if they don't beat them, I mean, will they ever is, is what I'm wondering. Is, is that your thoughts? This might be their best shot at it. Let's put it that way. I know also the series, I think, goes away for a few years. Um, I don't yeah, know. That yeah, it, during, it, that, it, during that uh, Florida series, uh, it, it'll, yeah. it'll take a break in 22 and 23. Yeah, and just seeing Utah's long-term scheduling goals, they're bringing in a lot of these blue blood and, and SEC and Power 5 teams, which is encouraging. Um, so, yeah, who knows for BYU how many shots they're going to get. Um, I didn't include BYU in the book last year. I got a lot of feedback on Twitter. They all wanted it. So I, I took a deep dive, researched them. Uh, you know, film study, coach calls a whole bit, and uh, I added them to the book this year. It was a fascinating uh, research and write. But so they have an improving offense, BYU. Uh, quarterback Zach Wilson's back. Um, pretty strong offensive line despite some injuries last year. Matt Bushman turned down the pros. He'll be the leading receiver again. But really, this defense, it's not the defense of the uh, Bronco Mendenhall era. Uh, statistically, it has fallen under Sataki. They get that thing to click a little bit on defense. I think it could be a solid team. I have them right around 40th in my in my in my uh, game grader formula, in a middle of the pack power five if they were in a power five league that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's an opportunity to sneak up and get Utah this year. Um, it it is it is in Rice Eccles which helps. Um, but uh, yeah, coming off that short off season, super young defensively, new quarterback, uh, no more workhorse with Zach Moss. Yeah, it just looks like it's lining up for a potential upset alert. So, we'll see. How long have you been putting out these uh, preview books? So we, I launched Pick 6 Previews in 2012. Uh, the first six or seven years were just online uh, write-ups and, you know, less formal. 2019 last year was the first formal book, uh, all 66 teams, really, you know, super in-depth. I have all the graphics, the recruiting trends, the, uh, the program histories, um, you know, my game grader formula, that kind of thing. 2019 was the first book, and now we're back here the second year uh, 2020. So, and it's a one man operation. It's literally just me, uh, you know, hours and hours of film study calls with coaches tuning into local radio and local podcasts too are huge because, you know, some national guys like to just talk about Bama and Ohio state and Texas, but I love digging into all 66 of these. I like getting right to the roots, getting the detail. And, uh, I think that pops off the page too, when you open it up. So I hope that comes through. Um, and to any listeners out there, uh, you can go to pick6previews.com, and I have a couple sample teams up there because I know it's a newer product, uh, you know, to compete with the ones you see on newsstands. I have a couple sample teams, some testimonials. Actually, a big testimonial just came in a few days ago, Chris Balica, the Bear, on College Game Day. had some nice words, so pretty pumped about that. But, yeah, so, uh, yeah, I'm excited to be back on the radio tour, and, and thank you, Trevor, for having me. Yeah, and uh, I got to ask, how in the hell do you do all this all by yourself? Yeah, it's uh, – it's crazy hours. I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's an extreme passion, um, but it's something that finally I, I really wanted to do a deep dive and really put it on the market and see how it did. 2019 was a blast. I mean, the radio shows, the national reception was great. It gave me enough firepower to want to do it again this year. And 
it, it is insane hours, but it's, it's a passion. And uh, I think the fans are, are appreciating it too. So, I mean, if you want to really deep dive some stats, but also make it a readable, you know, a fun read too. Um, because a lot of these become too analytical and it's like, you know, oh, Utah's 0.121 in X category. Well, what does that mean really? So I like to put it back into readable terms. The numbers are there on the sides and the graphics if you want them, but readable terms, you know, anything a football guy would like, some X's and O's and, yeah, it's just an extreme passion, Trevor, to be honest. And uh, I'm excited to see it start to take off. Yeah, and I've already been diving deep into it, and I've only had it for, you know, a day. But uh, I, where can fans order their own uh, copy of the book if, if they're uh, interested? Yeah, so you can follow us at Pick 6 Previews. I'm tweeting out links and, and pages there on Twitter. But uh, just pick6previews.com, and that's all spelled out. You go on there, you'll see it. Um, like I said, sample pages, uh, testimonials, um, some more info. Uh, you, you can see the graphics that are on every page, that kind of thing. And also to the Utah fans here, I want to send out, send out a discount code. Uh, if you're interested in, in checking it out this year, just type in Utes at checkout, U-T-E-S. Uh, get a nice discount there for anyone interested. And, um, you know, like I said, it's been, it's been great connecting with Utah fans over the last couple of years, especially last year. And um, want to get back to the Ute fan base. So if you're interested, use Utes at checkout. All right, you guys heard it from him. If you guys want to get a, a nice little discount. And again, I'm telling you this, and it's not just because Brett's on with me. It is a great read. It's easy to read. And it's also a great way to fill up all your knowledge of all the teams Utah is going to be playing and also, you know, other teams in, in Power 5 conferences. But, Brett, it's always great to catch up with you. I know you're really busy with all, with all of your radio interviews and uh, obviously putting this all together. I really do appreciate you covering some time out for me. Yeah, thanks again, Trevor, and thanks for back in the day. You were one of the first ones to have me on. You, you were ahead of the curve, man, back at ESPN 700. So appreciate it uh, then and now, and, uh, and excited to talk uh, come fall. Hopefully we have some games to talk about. Yeah, and, you know, we'll, we'll definitely uh, have you on again soon to talk about it. Thanks again, Brett. Thanks, Trevor. And there you go. That was Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews. Make sure you guys check out his book. If you guys are interested, uh, type in the promo code UTES at checkout to receive a discount. So very, very thankful for him carving out some time to talk some Utah and Pac-12 football with me. All right, we're going to go ahead and take a break. When we come back, we'll preview the defensive tackles as we continue our position previews for the 2020 Utah football team. You're listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast. Years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.
Welcome back in. It's the Crimson Corner Podcast, and it's always powered by kslsports.com. Trevor Allen here with you. Big thank you to Brett Ciancia of Pick 6 Previews for joining the program earlier. Again, head over to Pick 6 Previews on Twitter to find out more info and how to order your, your own copy of his book. He only previews the uh, Power 5 conferences, or the uh, teams in Power 5 conferences, but um, still great information. It's a lot of info, but it's also a really easy read, so I would recommend it to anyone who into college football previews. And it's also great to look at Utah's opponents to figure out the uh, trends of, of those teams and and how they're looking heading into 2020. All right, now time to preview the, the uh, defensive tackle position. And now this is a little bit interesting because some of the guys I'll name here could very well be in contention to play on the edge as well as tackle. I mean, we at least know the uh, starters for, for the uh, tackle positions on defense, but some of these guys could also factor into playing out on the edge. Now, some of the guys coming back is Vianney Mawala. He was a walk-on after transferring from Hawaii, but later was picked up on scholarship. He played in all 14 games last season, and he was a part of the rotation that the Utah had with guys playing behind Lecky Foto and John Panasini. He's six foot six, 315 pounds. He was projected a starter on Utah's spring depth chart. And then the other one who is also projected to start at defensive tackle is Hawati Pututau. He was a backup last season as well, part of the rotation with Mawala backing up Fotu and Penasini. He played in every game last season, including a start at right tackle against Northern Illinois. That was when Fotu was out for that game. And then two more guys to look forward to to help out on that defensive line. Pita Tonga, um, he's had a lot of experience at that defensive tackle position through his career at Utah. He's from Highland High School, played in 11 games in 2017, appeared in 13 games with six starts in 2018, and played in 10 games last season. He is projected to be a backup on Utah's spring depth chart. And along with it, this next guy, Samisi Lewaki, played in his first season with Utah in 2019 after returning from his church mission. He played in three games last year against Idaho State, Colorado, and appeared in the Alamo Bowl against Texas. And then some of the newcomers coming in, Aliki Viamahi. He originally signed with Utah in 2017 in that class as a defensive end and one of the top prospects in Hawaii but then uh, went out and, and served a mission. Now the coaches are looking at putting him or moving him over to tackle after gaining some weight and growing while on his mission. And then another guy who he was one of the later signees on signing day, Tanoa Togiai. He's from Rigby, Idaho. He did not enroll in spring ball, but, but will uh, join the team in fall camp. Um, he was a three-star prospect that has high upside. He was a, a late pickup, but a big one as well for Utah. Now starter predictions. I think that the uh, two starter positions will go to Vianney Mawala and Hawati Pututau. A lot of the reasons is because them playing behind Lecky Foto and John Penasini has really elevated their game, and it, it's molded them into and getting them ready to be starters for 2020, and I think that that's going to really help them. But also look for, for Apita Tonga and Samisi Luwaki to get some minutes as well. They'll probably use the uh, similar style like they did last year where they, they play four guys at, at tackle in those two spots, so... So that's the uh, defensive tackle preview. Coming up next preview will be the, the uh, defensive ends, and we will conclude Utah's defense with that. All right, and that will do it for this edition of the Crimson Corner. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Make sure you guys head over to kslsports.com and also follow me on Twitter at Trevor A. Sports and at KSL Sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Until next time, thanks for listening to the Crimson Corner Podcast powered by kslsports.com. Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow The Letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts.